And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Today's guest is Wynn Smiley, CEO of Alpha Tau Omega. Rarely will I make a unilateral decision. Like, as a leader, let's go. I mean, sometimes you have to do that, right? But generally speaking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pull the people in who have the insight and experience and are in, in, impacted, in some cases, by the decision and ask them uh, their opinion. People support what they help create. That fits with my personality and my leadership style, and I just think that that has, um, that has produced a lot of fruit over the years. Bottom Line Faith is uh, on the air. I'm Adam Ritz. Thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, Ray Hilbert with me as co-host. I'm so happy to be here again with you, Ray. Uh, for this edition and episode of Bottom Line Faith. Well, once again, Adam, we're excited about our guest today and uh, really look forward to uh, learning a lot. Are you ready to go back to college? Uh, I I graduated not, uh, what's that called, magna cum laude? I graduated, thank you, Lordy. And so I am ready to go back to school. Well, our guest today uh, has some college connections. Uh, I was a fraternity man myself uh, back in the days, and our Guest is Mr. Wynn Smiley. He's the CEO of Alpha Tau Omega National Fraternity. Wynn, thank you so much for making the time to be on Bottom Line Faith. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks, Adam. And uh, I'm always interested to talk to uh, business leaders, um, leaders in the marketplace about their faith and spirituality. And today it's going to be even more fun uh for me, from a collegiate perspective, I'm just such a big fan of college football and college fraternities in general, um, memories, nostalgia from when I was in college, and it's it's maybe not really the tip of, of people's tongues when they think of um, fraternities uh, to think of Christianity in, in the same breath. So I don't know if that's how we want to plant the seeds to start the conversation, but um, do you get that feedback when you meet people or they're like, oh, you're the CEO of a national fraternity, Alpha Tau Omega, oh, you must drink a lot of beer. Yes. And you're like, actually, uh, no, we pray a lot. Yeah, right. So it's always interesting to see how people respond. Uh, oh, is that a full-time job? Oh, I bet you're really not a party. Oh, what's the break room like? <laughs> right. How big is the kegerator? All those things. Yeah. Is that so, really your full-time job? Is that, oh, is that a full-time job? <laughs> like, seriously, when? what do you do? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> And, you know, when's, uh, I know you're re really involved with uh, Christian retreats, leading your young men, the undergraduates. So you've got a staff. How many on staff at Alpha Tau Omega? Yeah, about 30. 30. And these are grown men. Grown men, uh, college graduates, yes, right. And, and then you, you I, I guess, sort of uh, lead the undergraduates. How many undergraduates in Alpha Tau Omega? Yeah, 10,000 undergraduates, about 140 chapters across the nation. So we're, we'd be considered a Division One fraternity, uh, top 10 in any way slice it, including our educational foundation. Uh, so we're, um, yeah, we're a major presence on college campuses. Well, as Ray likes to put it, uh, bottom line faith checks under the hood, if you will. How do you say that, Ray? <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is obviously the program where we like to meet and talk with high capacity, high accomplished Christian leaders in the marketplace and kind of the old picture of lifting the hood and tinkering around the engine of Christian leadership. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to on today's show with, uh, with Wynn. Well, uh, shall we start with um, maybe a little bit of when I, I mentioned off air before we started, when has a, a history in radio and television, you were uh, an anchor man on TV. So um, I'm a little uh, intimidated that uh, you probably have more on air experience than I do. And then, no, so if you want to take so. over this interview at any point, <laughs> no. just take over and I'll turn my microphone it's been, off. It's been a long time ago. So but no, I guess I'll real quick, uh, your, your Christian, your faith uh, journey. 
from yep, so when you were a young man to now. Right, raised in uh, a home where both parents and uh, all siblings went to the local, very small United Methodist Church. Uh, my parents got involved in the Methodist renewal movement when I was in junior high, which is called Aldersgate, and um, it's a full gospel movement of, of the Methodist Church. So uh, my parents came home, I was in junior high at the time, and I'm like, what's wrong with you guys, right? I mean, they had changed. And so uh, that sparked interest in me into pushing more into sort of what the gospel was all about within the Methodist Church. Our church changed as well uh, in terms of really exploring sort of more of the, the full gospel aspect. Uh, and so um, I guess I would, you know, my faith really sort of grew uh, in high school, went to college, joined a fraternity, and uh, pretty much put the faith thing on the back burner. It wasn't a result of joining the fraternity. I think it was just a result of uh, not feeling compelled to find a church in a college town to really engage anybody. And so I uh, did that, uh, got my degree in journalism, immediately uh, went to work uh, in a newsroom, uh, which uh, can be uh, sort of dicey, right, uh, in terms of a uh, lot of lot of lot of things swirling in a newsroom, and uh, I I uh, would still claim my Christian faith, uh, but uh, to be a good reporter, you have to be cynical, and I was a really good reporter, right? And so, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I also learned uh, what I would consider sort of newsroom language, which is very colorful, mm-hmm. um, and so um, uh, a reporter. Came in from another from another market. We'd hired her from another market, and uh, we became friends. And uh, she was a Christ follower, uh, and uh, cornered me one time in an editing booth, actually, and told me that uh, she'd never met a bigger hypocrite than me. Right? Wow. Uh, and so uh, that's what I said. Sounds like investigative journalism. <laughs> All right. And so um, so she uh, eventually convinced me to go to the church that she was attending where I recommitted uh, my life, and that was, I was in my mid-20s then. And then from that point on, I, um, um, by that time in my career, I knew that I didn't want to be in uh, broadcasting the rest of my life. I mean, it was a great experience. I loved it. Uh, but it generally is a young person's experience because it's a grind. And I basically said, okay, what next, God? And within six months, Alpha Tau Omega uh, called me out of the blue. I did not know these people and said, let's have lunch. And I thought it was for some story. And, you know, I get lots of calls, let's have lunch when you're a reporter. And they offered me a job uh, to be uh, director of the marketing. And um, I initially turned it down. But um, the more that I pressed in, and I had a list of, like, things that really I needed both ATO and the station that I was currently at to sign off on. And to my amazement, uh, they did including keeping a political talk show uh, that I had. Uh, and in the state of Illinois, politics is sort of a blood sport, right? So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and so both parties agreed that I could keep my, uh, my, politic, my political show. And so I joined ATO staff in about 91 and uh, realized immediately why God had led me there because ATO is a very traditional social fraternity, just like you would see anywhere. It's not... It, while it is Christian-based in terms of its founding uh, principles, uh, it accepts men of any faith or no faith at all. And so it is a fraternity as is a fraternity as is a fraternity. Uh, it doesn't have a Christian moniker. But uh, I quickly learned uh, that the founder of ATO uh, was deeply religious, and that's why it's called ATO, the cross in the middle with the Alpha and the Omega on either side, right? And so it, I quickly became aware of why God led me 
to that place. I had no idea what he wanted me to do there, uh, but that was sort of the start of um, my relationship with ATO. Wynn Smiley is our guest, CEO of Alpha Ta Omega National Fraternity. And uh, so present day, it's uh, college campuses, the, um, the safe spaces. It's just changed so much. And I guess one of my first questions is how, as a man of faith, with all of those undergraduates, is, is, there, is, there a, is it a minefield that you have to dance around to be able to talk about Christian faith uh, in a college setting? Or is it, uh, hey, this is ATO, we're a private uh, entity, and we can talk whatever, about whatever we want? Yeah, pretty much the latter. Yeah. Uh, we are a private entity, and I think that sometimes um, some of our undergraduates are a little taken aback if they hear me talk about ATO, but it, it we do it in a way that I don't find I don't think that people find offensive. I mean, we're we're not a parachurch organization, right? We're not proselytizing students, but we are talking about our heritage. And so, uh, part of my standard uh, stump speech, if you will, whether it's in front of alumni or parents or undergraduates, is that look, these are our founding principles. They are what they are. They can't change. We're proud of them. We're going to talk about them, and at the same time, we accept men of of any faith or no faith at all, uh, with open arms. Uh, and we think that a fraternity chapter outside of a family is a great place to talk about important issues, including issues of faith. Uh, and so if you really have a strong brotherhood, you can have those conversations, again, regardless of what faith background you're coming from. Uh, and so that has produced within the organization great support, right? Uh, I, it just, I initially thought that that might get some pushback. Mm. Not really. Uh, I think we handle it in a way that, um, you know, we're not trying to really convert anybody. We're just trying to present the gospel uh, in a way that Glazebrook uh, had in mind when he created the organization. You know, you just uh, made me think of something when, um, ha have you had a success story? I'll call it a success story where a young man's uh, become a member of ATO and he is um, not a young man of faith, and through his four-year journey in college, he gets in touch with you and writes you a letter or contacts you an email and says, hey, Wynn, I just want to let you know, um, I've recommitted my life to Christ, and I think it was due to my experience here at ATO. Yeah, we have, so just like any campus, uh, you know, whether it's Navigators or Crew or any other parachurch organization, um, in many cases, they have uh, students from fraternities and sororities that are part of those groups. And we have ATO undergraduates who, in some cases, go on after graduation to join as part of the ministry team and then specifically go back to their chapters. And so uh, lots of folks are uh, working with the Greek system and presenting the gospel. And any number of uh, ATOs have either recommitted to their faith or found faith uh, through those efforts, uh, which aren't directly related to ATO, but I still hear about them, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's always exciting. And then about, uh, it's been five years, uh, six years actually, uh, we really did something that was way out of, way out of the box and started uh, hosting, not hosting, but started sponsoring um, bringing ATO undergraduates to specifically a men's retreat in Colorado that was very Jesus, and uh, we didn't bait and switch anybody. We told them, hey, this is, this is what this retreat is. It's a men's retreat, and it's all about Jesus, and everybody's welcome. Uh, and so we have seen, uh, as and we do two a summer, and we've seen men who have no faith come in and say, I just want to check it out. And by the end of the retreat, 
they've made a decision, even though that's not part of the retreat, right? I mean, we never, as part of the retreat, say, okay, this is the time you can make a decision for Christ. It's not part of the retreat. We baptized uh, probably 25 men over the course, of, and that's not part of the retreat. I mean, it's totally spontaneous. There just happens to be a lake on the property that we use. So those, I mean, those are the kinds of stories that, you know, we're not twisting arms because I, I just don't think that's, I just don't think that's a good way to go. Uh, and we're very upfront, right? It's like, hey, this is this is what we're doing. Uh, you're welcome to join us. Uh, don't want to freak anybody out. And uh, we've never had anyone like leave and say, oh, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> and so those kinds of stories are very much uh, to your point. Yeah, we're impacting we're impacting individuals. That is great. That is great. I love it. That's very exciting stuff. And I I, I hope and trust that some of our listeners right now who kind of like what you were mentioning a few moments ago, Adam, you know, this whole mindset about what's going on on college campuses and the whole PC movement, and, you know, you can't mention absolutes in faith. But this gives us great uh, great hope. This gives us great excitement to learn that uh, uh, an organization is doing such a thing as ATO. And what I'd love to do right now, if we could, is let, let's let's crawl inside when as a leader, and let's learn what's ticking around up there as a, as a leader. So, when thinking back over your career, you've had you've been in this role for how long as CEO of ATO? Yeah, twenty years. Twenty years, and then broadcasting and other other aspects of your career uh, prior to. What's the best piece of advice you were ever given in your leadership, and how's it impacting you today as a leader? Yeah, I think it, uh, the best piece of advice probably was listen, right, which is pretty standard advice. Uh, but I found that that, in terms of my leadership style, is very much collaborative. And so I will typically ask more questions uh, to find out answers, which probably doesn't surprise anybody given my, I mean, I, that's, I professionally uh, cut my teeth on asking questions, right? right. And so mm-hmm. uh, rarely will I make a unilateral decision. Like, as a leader, let's go. I mean, sometimes you have to do that, right? But generally speaking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pull the people in who have the insight and experience and are in, in, impacted in some cases, by the decision and ask them uh, their opinion. People support what they help create. Is And then perhaps that's the best piece of advice I'd ever gotten as a young leader. People support what they help create. And I uh, that fits with my personality and my leadership style. And I just think that that has, um, that has produced a lot of fruit over the years. That's good stuff. So people support what they help create. I think if you're taking notes on the interview today, that would be a, a great nugget right there. And so in, in kind of in a, in a similar vein as the best advice you ever received, what's, as you look back over the course of your career, what's the biggest mistake that you could recall making and what'd you learn from it? Yeah, so I think that I'm probably still making it from time <laughs> to time, right? Uh, I think that um, uh, I can draw conclusions pretty quickly and come to my opinion of what I think is happening and then act on that. And um, I'm better at it, right? So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get burned uh, probably as much as I used to, uh, but nine—I eh, don't know—many times uh, it I draw the wrong conclusion and then act on wrong information, and then I have to go back and sort of clean up the mess and apologize and right. And so I think that that is probably um, the biggest mistake uh, overtly. More covertly, um, I think it is um, not being bold when bold. Uh, would probably work, except it feels like that's too big of a risk. Now, if you ask my staff members, they're like, holy cow. I mean, that's, I mean, we're bold all the time. <laughs> you want to get bolder? Uh, but I just, I think that probably there are some, there are some opportunities that have passed 
uh, because I wasn't willing to uh, take the risk. I think I see a parallel there back to the collaboration, but also asking a lot of questions and listening. I think those two things go, go hand in hand. What are your thoughts on that, Adam? I um, also hear uh, some humility in there uh, because I think a lot of leaders um, in business want to quickly use their experience and their, their knowledge and know-how to assess a situation and act on their opinion and just consequences be damned. I'm the decision maker. I'm making the decision. Yeah. Uh, it takes some humility to, to say out loud that uh, we need to work on that. You know, yeah. get more information, not knee-jerk react so much. Uh, form uh, a better opinion on more information and not just run sort of full face uh, into a brick wall when, yeah. when you keep running into the brick wall and get the same conclusion. So I, I, I hear some humility in there, too. Yeah. Uh, when a, a big part of our audience here at Bottom Line Faith, these are business owners, presidents, CEOs, high-capacity executives, people who are hiring you know, for their companies and their organizations and those sorts of things. So you've been in your role uh, about 20 years now, you said, as CEO. What have you seen? Uh, this is kind of going to be a question that's going to lead into another question, okay? What have you seen that's changed in the character, in the decision-making, the experiences, the mindset of today's college students versus when you first started 20 years ago? What's different? Yeah, uh, a few things. I think that the biggest thing that I see most routinely is that um, college graduates coming out today, now this is a gross generalization, sure, right? Sure, right, right. Uh, college students coming out today versus coming out 20 years ago, uh, today uh, I can go to one of them and say, uh, figure here's a problem, figure it out, and come back to me. If you have any questions, great, I'm aunt, but you figure it out. And they're sort of like, what's my next step? And I'm like, I don't know what your next step is. That's, yeah. that's why you have a college degree, right? <laughs> Go figure it out. And I, it's hard for them because, and my assessment is, they've been programmed their whole life, right, in terms of much more than you and I probably were growing up and Adam growing up. I mean, everything from the time um, they've been in, you know, club sport, I mean, everything, right, has just been sort of laid out for them. And I hear that from their parents too. So today versus 20 years ago, uh, I'll hear from parents more often on things that I would have never told my parents about in college just because I can I, I don't need their advice on this and yeah. and I think and I think actually honestly I think the cell phone has a lot to do with that too because I remember once a week I'd call my every Sunday night I'd call my parents and long distance was expensive right and so that's the only time I talked to them and I think the cell phone has really facilitated uh, students and parents continuing to stay in touch daily and, and multiple times a day. And, and I think that that sort of facilitates that as well. So I've heard it described that uh, perhaps we're seeing a, a downgrading a little bit of critical thinking and problem-solving skills. Uh, I was talking recently to a, a researcher who was talking about they were seeing measurable differences. And uh, he, he kind of laid it out this way. He said, think about how answers are found today. No question is you, you type it into the, the, the bar on your search engine and you get your answer. You know, used to, you'd get the encyclopedias out and you'd go to the library and you'd have multiple sources, but now it's, hey, what's the first two answers on your Google page? 
Right. And I think that's what I'm hearing you kind of lay out is that some of that has been lost through technology, perhaps. Yeah, right. Through no fault of their own, right? right. I mean, that's right. you and I would do the same thing if we were right. So we don't use slide rules anymore. We use calculators. Why? Well, because we have a calculator to use. Why use a slide rule? So I don't fault them at all. That's right. I just think that it's tough for them to move into a professional role where that's expected. I mean, it's a, it's a new concept. In many cases, again, gross over is a, a generalization, but it's a new concept. And it, to help them work through that, now I'll say they pick it up very quickly. These The folks are not, you know, they're not stupid. That's I right. Mean, they're bright. They're bright people. Uh, and so they can pick it up. Uh, but that is definitely a, a change that I've seen. Yeah, and that's really a perfect setup because the, the next question I wanted to ask is, as I said, you know, a big portion of our audience are executives, owners. They're hiring people, and they're always looking for that next generation of talent and succession planning and their leadership teams. So what advice, what counsel would you have for, let's say, that the older folks, kind of like, you know, even though we're on an audio program here, we're not 25 years old. Any of the three of us. That's <laughs> and way then in- some, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what would you say to those leaders who are needing to hire and develop next gen talent? How can they take today's generation and develop them to the leaders they need them to be? Yep. Generally speaking, I think that uh, students today and new college graduates uh, like autonomy. So, uh, they want to, they're more entrepreneurial uh, in their thinking. They like they don't like to be micromanaged. Who does? But them especially. Mm-hmm. But yet they also want structure, right? And so to find the balance and to basically, uh, in many cases, they're going to have to be coached. Uh, and there's some re- remedial work as well. I mean, the ability, uh, my observation is the ability of college graduates today uh, to write a business letter, very difficult. Uh, and so there are some re- just some communication types of things because they're used to Twitter, uh, they're used to texting, all those kinds of things, all great stuff, great communication stuff. But in a business aspect, um, that can't be the only kind of communication. And so they have to learn mm-hmm. and they have to be taught by their employer, first employer typically, uh, how to do those kinds of things. Well, I was in a conversation this morning and it, it, with some business leaders. We were having a very similar topic, and it's very easy for us to – uh, blame these young folks to fault them and say this and say that, but we have to look squarely in the mirror because we're the ones that have parented, we're the ones that have created this environment, but it really is on us, isn't it, as leaders to develop this next generation of leader. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that that's really changed over the years. I just think that the kinds of things that we have to be teaching are different today. I think that given the technology and all of the labor-saving devices that are presented, it would be virtually impossible not to anticipate that it would have come out differently, right? And so uh, I just I just think it's it's the way that we are operating in, in this world, uh, and we have to uh, take that into account. The Z generation mm-hmm. just entered their freshman year in college, right, back in August. So the Z generation has begun, from my perspective, uh, and we don't know a whole lot about them. I've heard I've heard uh, seminars uh, that are the continuum of well, they're this, you know, uh, and then I hear another seminar, well, they're not this, they're this. And it's like so I think it's too early to really know what they are, uh, but I do believe that they are even more independently minded. Seventy three percent in a recent survey said they wanted to create their own degree as an undergraduate, right? So uh, that's uh, I mean that's impossible for colleges to. <laughs> Right. But that's what they want to do. Right. And so. uh, So anyway, I just I think that this trend is going to continue. 
Yeah, and my 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 reading indicates there's 1.3 million more of Generation Z than there are millennials. So they're right on the heels, and so it's amazing. I want to major in um, football and French fries. That's <laughs> right, my right. my diploma. Say right. football and French fries. Why not? Yeah. You well, mentioned uh, it's crazy, and I don't you don't think about these things until you hear somebody say it. But the cell phone and how much it's changed. You know uh, how they talk to their parents and talking to their parents three or four times a day means that maybe they're not as independent as, as uh, you and I would have been coming through college 20, 30 years ago. My fraternity had a payphone yeah. in the lobby. Right. And my mom and dad had to call the payphone to talk to me. Yeah. And it was somebody would yell down from the lobby, hey, Adam, your mom's on the yeah. phone, and I'd have to go down to the lobby yeah. to talk to my mom. Yeah, yeah we and had so, phone duty. Yeah, yeah phone had, duty. Yeah, right. So the whole rest of the week... <laughs> I had to figure out how to do things. Right. Instead of being like, oh, Google's not working. I'm not finding the answer I need. I'll just call mom. That's amazing. <laughs> how that just, that image jumped in my head as soon as you said, yeah, we had phones. We had to talk to our parents once a week back then. Now it's three times a day. You know what's scary, Adam? We're all starting to sound like our grandparents right now. <laughs> I, I'm right. I feel like I'm 100 years old. Well, I was just really? going to say, my father, when he went to college, was dropped off by his mother at the street. Uh, in front of the house that he lived in, and he saw her again at Christmas, right? I mean, so they thought that we were. What do you mean you call once a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that is great. Hard to believe we're we're nearing the end of our program already. This half hour just flies by. It yeah. never ceases to amaze. And so um, when one of the, the, the really key foundational questions that we like to ask here at Bottom Line Faith is we, we call this the, the, the 423 question. It's based out of Proverbs 423. And um, where the scripture says that uh, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Uh, we know that Solomon penned those words. Um, we talk about this on every one of our Bottom Line Faith interviews. Uh, there are some biblical scholars that believe those were some of the last words he wrote, perhaps on or near his deathbed. And so kind of picture he's gathering around his loved ones, his friends, his family, and he's saying, look, I've written all this wisdom that we find in Proverbs. But now, above all else, I want you to listen to this big key point, above all else. And his answer is guard your heart, because out of that, everything in life flows. So, when let's, let's forward time to whatever, and you're at the end of your time this side of eternity, and you've gathered your friend, friends and loved ones around. What's your above all else advice? For our listeners today, above all else... Right. Above, above all else, uh, run to the cross uh, even when you don't feel like you deserve to. Even when you might think, oh, I just really screwed up and I need to beat myself up a little while before Jesus will hear me. It's like, no, don't do that, right? Run to his feet um, as quickly as you can. Why waste the time between the time that you've really screwed up and the time that you're at Jesus' feet? So I think that um, the, the men's retreat that I described earlier that we're bringing uh, ATOs to, uh, I went to as, as part of just a man's retreat, uh, a men's retreat. And, uh, one of the things that, that was so powerful was just the, the power of worship, uh, the power of his grace and mercy and how that is really the transforming power of, um, Christianity of, of being a, a Christ follower. Uh, certainly we're not perfect. And I think that I used to very much, um, feel like I needed to pay penance. 
um, before I could, well, I, I, this is the 120th time I've screwed up. Right. And Jesus is just like, he's got to have his arms crossed going, rolling his eyes. And it's like, nope, he's got his arms wide open, run back into his embrace. That's really fantastic advice, you know, that running to the cross. And last thing is, as we close up here, so I think that advice that you have shared is so powerful that it's okay to be broken. In fact, we're all broken. We need to embrace our brokenness because Jesus already is. And you're reminding us today, run to the cross, don't cower back in shame. Right. Why waste that time? Right, yeah, absolutely. Run, run to his feet. I love it. And earlier you said, I, I should have wrote it down, I loved how when you were describing the uh, retreat, and you don't, you know, you're not uh, misinforming anybody that's going to go. This is not a trip to go mountain hike or uh, mountain bike or ski. This is, um, we're going to pray, and it's all about Jesus. How did you say that? You said it's all Jesus. Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's Jesus. all Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. It's so, all Jesus. Right, and if you want to <laughs> talk about that, great. Just so, and even if you don't, if you want to come, great. Just know that that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go to a lake, and hey, it's all Jesus. I love that. Not religion. It's all Jesus. Adam, closing thoughts. Win Smiley uh, has been our guest, and uh, I know from uh, looking at your website and knowing your broadcast background, um, Alpha Tau Omega is very uh, forward thinking in how you reach out to members and undergraduates and, uh, and, and your staff through your own, it's not even really a website, it's kind of like your own TV channel. Are there any sort of uh, links that you'd like to share with our listeners right now through uh, the Alpha Ta Omega digital properties? Sure, yeah, ATO.org is always available, and that'll really take you everywhere. If you want to go, I think you want to see uh, college students who are really doing some incredible things, uh, ATOroadshow.org uh, really shows our undergraduates raised over $9 million for local charities last year in uh, you know hundreds of, of projects. And so I just I think that our, our members are doing incredible things on campus. Sometimes they do incredibly stupid things, uh, but <laughs> that, you know that's sort of college. Um, but uh, they are doing incredible things. I'm very proud of the men who are ATOs. ATO.org. And seriously, though, what's your real job? You're really the CEO of Alpha right. Fraternity. That's it, yeah. Um, if uh, you'd like to share this uh, show with your friends, it's on bottomlinefaith.org. You can subscribe to the show, download it on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, Win Smiley, thank you so much. For Ray Hilbert, I'm Adam Ritz. This has been Bottom Line Faith. <laughs>